You know, so we've been talking about identity, and the first time, the first uh, week, we talked about uh, our identity and how we are the righteousness of God, how we are children of God. Do we have some slides here? And, um, and we are righteous children, and we said that's the foundation. You have to know that when you receive Jesus in your heart, there's nothing you can do to earn it, nothing you can do to lose it. If you genuinely put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? That's what got you saved, and that's what made you righteous instantly. It made you righteous, and it made you a child of God. So you're a righteous child. That's at the very foundation of who we are, our identity, our value. you got to say with me, I'm a righteous child of God. And to the degree that that was hard to say or hard to believe, it points to you know, maybe cracks in the foundation, okay? How much of that do you really believe? Or how much of that are you still relying on your own strength, relying on your own, you know, well, if I'm good enough, I am the righteous, you know, and I'm a child of God. If, you know, I'm, right now I'm being a prodigal son, so I'm really not a son or a daughter. No, no, no. You are a righteous child of God. And that happened because he adopted you into his family when you put your faith in Jesus. It's that simple. You understand? Nothing you have to do to earn it. You can't do anything to earn it. And then we talked about, uh, second. Uh, this is who I am, and then the, the week after that, we talked about there, who I'm not. I remembered. I just, you know, I needed this slide to kick in. <laughs> who I'm not. And this is just very basic things, you know, uh, that we could keep in check and not get too complicated on our identity. Who I'm not. I'm not a slave and I'm not an orphan. And we talked about how the slave, you know, uh, you know when, the, when the slave mentality and, and uh, characteristics try to come up, you know, we can catch them because we realize, oh, wait, I've been complaining way too much. That's the language of slaves. They complain. And you're not a slave whom the sunset free is free indeed. You're free. And so stop whining. You're victorious. You have power. You have authority. You can do something about something you don't like. It always gets quiet in that part when responsibility goes to your side of the court. <laughs> and I'm not an orphan either, right? How do I know that I'm acting like an orphan? Because I'm having a hard time celebrating other people's promotions and victories and, you know, uh, healings and, and ministries and and. and, and, and Anything, if I'm having a hard time celebrating someone else, is because deep down I believe there's not enough for all of us to go around. And so if I'm truly a child of God, then I know, you know, it's, it's what, the, what the extravagant father told the older son when the younger son came back home and the older son was complaining. And he tells the older son, hey, why are you complaining? Everything that's mine is yours. You could have thrown a party anytime you want it. You just, you just have it. And so we have unlimited resources because we have the same father and he's not making, you know, differences. He's not like, oh, no, you haven't, no, hold on, you haven't been a Christian that long, so you really don't, don't have access to all the good stuff yet, you know. You're in the trial period. No, it's not like that. <laughs> You're fully entitled to every promise of God from the first day that you accept Jesus in your heart and you become a son or a daughter of God. Are you with me? Those are great news. Why aren't you shouting? It's happening. Okay, and then we talked about where I received my identity, right? That was Father's Day. And we said that regardless of how good or how bad 
our, our biological father was, or absent, whatever. We all, believers, non-believers, like it doesn't matter how you grew up. We all need to receive the spirit of adoption directly from our Heavenly Father because that's the only way we will experience what a perfect Father is. And He's our perfect Father. And He speaks value, He speaks value and He speaks identity into our hearts directly. And that's where we get everything. Like it's awesome to have people fill up our love tank. That's great. But we cannot depend on that. It's awesome when people, you know, approve of us and, and you feel cheered on and, and, you know, God, we try to build that culture here, right? We encourage one another, but we cannot rely upon that. We have to 100% rely upon our Heavenly Father who already told us we are victorious, who already told us we have a purpose, we have a calling, we have a destiny. Our life is here for a big, big reason. He, he sa- it says that He fearfully and wonderfully made us. He had plans for us, good plans and good future for us, way in advance. And that should crush any hopelessness that would ever try to come against us, right? So we need to receive that identity from the Father in order to even be able to be good parents. If you're a parent or one day you'll be a parent, or if you never have biological children, there will be people in your life that God brings for you to father and mother. And you cannot possibly be a good one if you don't first remain a son or child of God. When you remain connected as Son of God, just like Jesus did, even while He walked on earth as an adult, He remained a child, He remained a son, He remained in communication, He remained daily, daily talking to His Father and, and getting the plans for His life. And that's how He could be a good uh, Father to His disciples. Amen? So we need to get that from our Heavenly Father. And then we talked about, this is who we are, right? You remember that? You remember the song? Was James uh, right? And we and we said, well, how? Who are we as a group, right? Who are we as a group? What are we known for? And so, you know, this group identity is is where I want to continue on today because um, it's it's what sets us apart from other religions. It's what sets us apart even from denominations. You know. I was telling you, how would somebody know that you go to Vida Church, right? Because cults have group identities, right? Very religious groups have group identities. Legalistic groups have group identities. Gangs have group identities. Terrorist groups have group identities. Was that a trigger word? I don't know what trigger words you say now on the internet. I'll be watching and listening now. Right? All these groups have group identities. But Jesus had a great group identity. You know how I know that? His disciples didn't go to Bible school. There's nothing wrong with Bible school. It's amazing. You should go if that's what God's leading you to do. But his disciples didn't go to Bible school. They were in a group for three years. They followed the master. They followed Jesus. And they were transformed. And the group identity was so strong that they... They could tell of what group they were just by how they talked. And we talked about different group identities, right? We talked about nationality. We talked about our country. And then we talked about family, how families have their own group identity. And we say things like, hey, the Diaz don't act like that. And it's not like a fake act. Like, I don't, I'm not trying to say, hey, act this way, put, a, put on a, a shelf. No, but we are teaching our children, 
how to respond, you know, in front of the world. We're teaching them how to, how to act, how to speak, how to, hey, when, you, when there's an adult in front of you, you shake their hand and you look them in the eyes. That's what we do as a family, you know. When somebody's hurting, what do we do? We pray for them. We don't just sit and watch. We run towards danger. <laughs> right? We said a group identity tells us how we act and how we respond in front of difficult situations. Why do we do why we do what we do is because of who we are, right? And who we are as a group. And we said our group identity comes from the Word of God. It comes from His Word. It comes from His promises. It comes from the core values that, you know, that we have in this church. That we believe in the supernatural. Therefore, we don't pass up opportunities to pray for people. Amen. We know how to prophesy and we know how to receive a prophetic word. So we're not scared of that either. And, you know, in any chance we have, we encourage one another. We're confident. We know who we are. Well, but we're not all there. That, that's, that's okay. We're all growing in the family. And so what sets us apart, I was telling you this, you know, it's kind of a joke, but not a joke, you know, how somebody will know that you go to Vida Church, but without saying anything, is they'll walk by you and they'll get healed. <laughs> Be like, oh my gosh, they go to Vida Church, ah. You know what I'm saying? And so I want to talk about, uh, at the very beginning of this uh, series, I talked about how um, we have a left and a right side of our brain. And the right side is the fast track, and the left side is the slow track. And uh, the left side is the one that processes all information and logic and structure and strategy and, and all this stuff. And the right side is, is more of a super, super fast thing that just is where our reactions come from. It's where, you know, without thinking, you know, reflex come out of. And so how, how we respond, our first reaction before situations tells us what's really on our right side. And very interesting enough is that on our right side is where identity lives. Are you with me? On our right side is where identity lives. And so that tells me that it is more effective to learn who am I, who I am, than read a book and instructions and, you know, and, and be, you know, told every day. And I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying it's quicker if it's in my identity rather than in the law. And we, and we compared how, how the law would, would represent living on the left side of all the don'ts, but the right represents grace, which is who I am. And out of who I am, then I do. Automatically, I do. Because this is who I am. I don't have to go back to the rule book of the law, you know, and think. Because nobody, when they're in a uh, difficult moment, when they're in a moment of temptation, nobody goes, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me write, read all my notes and see what to do in this situation. No, but most people just react and they respond, and they, right? And that comes out of your identity. And so if we focus more on our identity, it'll be a lot easier to live life according to the Word of God. And so I'm going to talk about three things that help our right side, uh, our right, the right track, uh, be developed faster, okay? And the first one of those is intimacy. And then, uh, you know, we talk a lot about transformation in this church, and, uh, and I love that because we're not about behavior modification. We know that doesn't work. Religious things, condemnation, making you feel bad about your stuff, it doesn't work. 
So we don't try to control anybody. You're going to do what you're going to do. Parents, same for your kids. Now they're not here so I can say that, you know, so they don't use it against us. But the reality is they're going to do whatever they want. Control is, is, is an illusion. In order to really control someone, you need to use fear, manipulation, and, you know, abuse and all those kinds of stuff. So. And since, you know, we'll never do that here, uh, we'll just focus on what does, which is on the heart and transformation from the heart. And so we talk a lot about transformation, and uh, we quote Romans 12:2 a lot, right? Uh, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And the renewing of our mind, that, is, that speaks of our daily diligence, of our daily being in the Word, of our daily meditation, of our daily prayer time, our daily you know, time with the Lord. But there is a, another way of transformation that we also talk about, and it's in 2 Corinthians 3, uh, verse 16 and 18. And so, if you can go there with me. Okay, great. There it is. It says, don't come. No, that's Romans 12, too. Okay, sorry. That was too quick. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18. And it says, and all of us, as with unveiled face, I'm reading out of the Amplified, it says, because we continue to behold, say with me, behold, in the Word of God. Okay, so we're beholding in the Word of God as in a mirror, okay, so as if the Word of God was a mirror, it says, we continue to behold the glory of the Lord. We're constantly, because of this, we're constantly being transfigured or transformed into his very own image in ever-increasing splendor and from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Okay? And so this is another way in which we are being transformed. And it's as we behold the glory of God. It says, so we're, we are to look at the Bible as a mirror and then reflect that in our lives. We are to look at the Word, and the more we behold the Word, the more we behold God. That's why we have worship nights. Two hours of uninterrupted worship. Why would you ever come to that unless there were some professional musicians doing some crazy solos out here? Because you're not coming for that. You're coming to be in the presence of God. You're coming to behold His glory. Yeah, And the people that are all logic, knowledge, knowledge, they don't get it, so they don't come. You know, just so you know, I can't see anybody. The lights are so bright, I can't even, so I'm, you know, I'm not speaking of anybody. But you, it, people that don't understand how to behold the glory of God and just sit and soak in his presence do not understand how impactful beholding the glory of God can be to transformation. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong, like we need to renew our mind. It's in the Bible. But it's not the only way. And it goes against everything in an analytical person. Like, well, I'm just going to sit there and then what? What am I supposed to do? I'm not supposed to do anything. You know, do you remember when you were in love with your uh, spouse before you got married? And, uh, you, you know, I remember me and Kara, we were in this. I'm not implying that you're not in love anymore. <laughs> We do have a marriage retreat later in the year. You should sign up for that. Bob and Audrey are going to be there. You know. I remember uh, when Kara agreed to come to Mexico City to spend time with me to see 
if she would even give me the time of the day and maybe, you know, maybe, you know, consider me as an option. She came to Mexico City. I had it all planned and uh, I took her out of town in, into like for the day. We went to a small town up the mountains and I remember we sat in this, uh, the be- this bench in this park, very antique uh, looking, very colonial looking park, you know. And it's like we just sat on the bench and we gazed into each other's eyes. <laughs> and then it was like nighttime. Like, I don't know where the day went. It was just like just staring into her beautiful blue eyes, just like, and time stopped. It was just like, what just happened? You know, that is beholding. And that's what you do with God, too. You just sit in the quietness when there's no other distractions, and you're just like, okay, I'm not even going to sing right now. I just, God, you're so amazing. And you just start thinking of his goodness and his kindness and everything. And as you're beholding the glory of God through the things, through his faithfulness, through everything he's done, then what, what's happening? You're being transformed. You're being transformed from the inside out. I'm telling you, you need to come next worship night and try it out. It's pretty amazing what happens in the presence of God. You know, and so that's why we do that. And so this is talking about, you know, beholding the glory of God. So it's those intimate moments with God. You know, it happens in Sozo. It happens when you, when you have an encounter with God, when you go to a, re- a retreat and you disconnect from everything. You're one of those worship moments and boom, it just hits you. And you're like, whoa, what just happened? I felt something. You know how many people have told me, I just felt something I've never felt before. And it's like the most skeptical person in the whole group, why, they had an encounter with God. And it's those moments of intimacy that cause great transformation in one moment. And that's why we say we're building a place where people encounter God, because that's the only thing we can do, is we can build a place where we facilitate you having these things that really produce transformation. Are you with me? And so read the Word, write, journal, listen to God's voice. Um, you know that... Uh, Intimacy with God and, and these intimate moments, uh, these encounters, it's like the one Paul had, right? Uh, before he was Paul, he was Saul. He had an encounter with God and he was changed in the moment. He, he switched teams in one moment, right? He was so convinced that what he was doing uh, persecuting Christians was right. And in one moment, one encounter with God, he's on his knees. He's, he's, he's like, all right, God, my life is yours. I'm, you know, I'm for you. You know, Jesus is like, why are you persecuting me? And one encounter changed them. Um, and I like to say that these intimate moments with God, it's like a traumatic situation. Because how many people have been transformed negatively because of a tra- traumatic situation? Right? Like it's an accident or maybe somebody who, who served and, and went overseas and, and, and was in the military and, and saw horrible things. Or maybe a very abusive situation or, or, or an instance of something happening, right? And it produced a transformation in them. A negative one, right? Why could, something, why could somebody go from never being afraid to be in a car to all of a sudden being terrified of being in a car? Because there was a traumatic event that caused change from the core, from the heart. Are you with me? I want to suggest to you that when you get saved is a positively traumatic situation. And those that have a, a real salvation, I shouldn't have to say real salvation, but would you know what I mean? Like, 
Like, you actually have a come-to-God moment, and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. And, and then you have a radical salvation, right? That produces also an instant transformation in your heart. It's a positively traumatic event. What happened to Paul, you know, he got knocked off his horse and he became blind for three days, I think. And it was a positively traumatic situation that changed his life from that moment on. Are you following what I'm saying? When you have encounters with God, when you have intimacy with God, you're creating those moments that are going to like put a real dent, you know, for godly transformation from the inside, from the heart. You following? Okay, I hope I didn't confuse you. Then the next one we have, okay, so that causes fast transformation on the fast track of the brain, okay? Um, the second one is imitation, okay? Now, imitation, Jesus did this, you know, he, he showed his disciples, they watched, then uh, they did, and Jesus watched them as they did, and they preached, and they prayed for others, and then he gave them feedback, and then he sent them on their own, and, and they did it themselves, right? So Jesus uh, was an example of this. Then in Ephesians 5, 1, uh, if you go with me there, and I'm going to read from verse, well, starting in verse 1, it says, imitate God. Say with me, imitate. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Of who? Right? So Jesus. So that, that tells us that the Gospels, Jesus' life is perfect theology. If Jesus did it, we can do it. We have permission. And that's where a lot of the Old Testament gets, how can I say, overruled? And I'll just give you one example. You know, he, um, uh, some of his disciples were like, hey, Jesus, you want us to call down fire just like, you know, Elijah did? And, and Jesus is like, no. Of what spirit are you? Like, oh, okay. So Jesus is perfect theology. Are you with me? Okay. Um, and then it says, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Uh, a pleasing aroma to God. Now verse 3 says, Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Such things, such sins, have no place among God's people. And I want you to notice here that he's speaking group identity right there. He said, God's people don't act like that. That's why. This is not us. We don't do that stuff. We don't need that stuff. We're new creations. You know, it's like teaching babies and saying, hey, here, look, look, I know you went to school today and you heard a bunch of words. Let me tell you something. Um, I think I was in seventh and and uh, maybe seventh or eighth grade. And I went to private school in Mexico City. And uh, seventh? No, no, no. Mm-mm. Had to have been like, Second or third grade, okay? I was, I don't know how old I was, but it was like. (laughs) I hear, you know, I heard a lot of new words that day in school. Of which I didn't know they were bad. As a matter of fact, I thought they were really good because my friends were saying it all day long. (laughs) I remember getting in the car. (laughs) 
my dad's like, how was school today? I'm, was, I'm like, great. It was, it was great. Awesome. And then I just start going, I don't know what to say instead of this, but. Well, it was in Spanish anyways, but I still, still don't feel right to say it, you know. And I'm like, and my dad looks at me. His eyes open up. And I, and I could tell he was being such a good dad because he didn't freak out on me. I was saying some really, it was like the equivalent to uh, mother in Spanish, okay? But in, in my mind, I was just saying something mother. Like, I didn't know what the other word meant. I really didn't. I have no clue. I've never heard these words in my life. And I'm just like, and my dad's face, just he's like, um, where did you hear that? Uh, okay, it's cool. He's like, okay, that's, that's a really bad thing. We don't, we don't talk like that. We don't say things like that. That's a, and my mom wasn't in the car, thankfully, you know. <laughs> but, but he said, he's like, you know, that's a really big insult for your mom. And I'm like, oh, okay. Okay, and I, you know, I never said it again. But what he did is, is what a father does. Is like he, taught, he taught me group identity just because all the other kids were doing it. He's like, hey, listen, we don't talk like that. We don't act like that. You know, we don't do that. And, I, and that's what Jesus did, you know. He was like, you know, he was among sinners. And he's teaching his disciples. I know that you guys have been fed up with all this religious stuff. said, but we're not, a, we're not scared of sinners, you know. We're, we don't judge and condemn people. We don't call fire out on them. We're here to love them. I have great news for them. This is how we <laughs> um. and so that's what he's saying here you know he's like hey these sins such sins they they have no place among God's among uh, among God's people said these are not for you even even in verse 4 obscene stories Foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead let, instead, let there be thankfulness to God. And see, he's teaching us. He's like, hey, this is not how we act. And it's a very different tone than the tone in the Old Testament and the law, right? The, the, old, the other one was scary. It was like, you're going to die and you're going to be cursed. And, this, and, that, and that's not the case anymore. It's still saying, you know, don't have sex outside of marriage, you know, and behave this way and don't talk like that. But it's not because I'm going to send you to hell. It's because that's not who we are. That's not how we talk. That's not what we use our words for. We use our words to create and to produce life and to do this. And, that. and that's how we act because we're children of God. And so God is teaching us, you know, through imitation. That's why he's saying, you know, imitate God. And then in 1 Corinthians 1, 11, 1, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am an imitator of Christ. How many of you could tell someone else, be an imitator of me? I know, it's kind of scary, right? But if Paul said it, I'll say it, be an imitator of me. Pastor, isn't that a little bit arrogant? Well, be an imitator of me as I'm an imitator of Christ, right? And men, you know, and moms and, and women, like, we want our kids to be imitators of us. Let me, actually, let me say this. Your kids are going to be imitators of you, regardless. 
I know, you know, this, this phrase of, you know, we, we like to use sometimes like, do as I say, not as I do. Well, that doesn't work. You will reproduce who you are. I know some of you just went like, ah, those are not the good news I came to hear today. <laughs> you will reproduce who you are because they will imitate you, which tells me I have to drive differently. Who said amen? <laughs> Be imitators of me as I am an imitator of God. Right? That's why God puts God leaders. And you know what? The sad thing is when you see people who imitate leaders who are toxic or religious. Or, I mean, this, this happens everywhere, which leads me to, to the next uh, uh, part of, of imitation, which is uh, identity groups. See, in identity groups, families, um, you know, when you grow up in a certain city and there's an identity group from that, when you're from, from the south or when you're from the north or when you're from, you know, like, like Nick always says, like us Italians, you know, rah, rah, you know, whatever, you know, <laughs> or, you know, us Mexicans, you know, we're like, si se puede, you know. It's like, like we all have our group things, you know. But small groups are so important because when you're part of a small group, you know, it, it, you start watching and imitating one another. And I'm talking about the good things. We have to be mature enough to not try to justify our bad behavior because you saw someone else do it or a leader do it or, you know, or, or you saw me driving a little faster than normal. You go, oh, pastor did it. Like, you have to be mature enough to know, like, don't imitate those things. You're not trying to justify the things you're doing wrong, you know. You're trying to, you know, get the good stuff, you know. Like, when we're around other uh, great parents, we, we ask them, so how'd you do that, you know? Just tell me, like, how did you, you know, let me, you know. See, we have Brad and Selena around, and like, okay, so how'd you get them to call you sir all the time? You know, like, <laughs> you know, like, because you want the good stuff, right? That's why we go to Bob and Audrey, you know, and we have an intensive at least once a year, and we're like, okay, you know, pour into us, you know, <laughs> tell us some more good stuff, you know, because it's in, in these identity groups where you glean in from the good of those around you. I mean, don't tell me that if you go to a friend's house and, you know, they're, they have this new grill, you know, and, and they, they just, like, serve you this delicious piece of steak that you don't ask them, like, so tell me, what temperature did you use, you know, like, just uh, how long was this steak out, you know, did you, what seasonings did you put, why, because you're trying to, you know, get the good stuff, you go to somebody's house and the food is terrible, you don't ask for the recipe, <laughs> see, I went to school, and I was in an identity group in that classroom for eight hours, five days a week, listening and hearing to a bunch of crap. And you wonder why our kids in college are going away from the Lord? Do you know that? College students is one of the largest groups leaving the church. Because all of a sudden they become part of this identity group. They start belonging to this group. And this group wants nothing to do with God, you know. So that's why it's so important that we keep our inner circles, our close circles, you know, our, 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 our groups that we look up to, 
that we're very selective with those. That's why it's important that you get connected with the men's group in the church or the young adults or the youth and stuff because what happens out of here, you know, you have no control over. You can, you can choose to pull away from, you know, bad company and all that stuff, but it's important that you have a good group, a small group, friends that are going to be there for you. You know, it's so interesting to me that That the Lord set up these ways of being transformed, of renewing our mind. But the fast track of our brain, the identity where that happens, you know, has to do with community. Right? His disciples didn't go to Bible school. They didn't have to study all these books. They were part of his group. And that's how they became the apostles. The ones that started the church. That's a big deal. What qualified them? They were part of the 12. They were in that group with Jesus. That's why it's so important, you know, ladies, that you get together, that you come on Wednesday nights. There's so many small groups here, and, and it's not just to know people, but it's so that people know you. You really belong when you're known. Not just when you know people. And so, you know, the same thing goes for the examples with gangs and, and things of that nature. You know, somebody goes into one of those and, you know, they don't have them study a, a guidebook and a rule book and they carry in their back pocket. They're just watching how others act, how others dress, how others behave, how others respond. And then all of a sudden, they're transformed. How can somebody be transformed so fast? Because they were part of an identity group that said, this is who we are. This is how we do things. This is how we act. This is how we identify each other. And that set of core values is what sets them apart, good or bad. So what group of core values sets us apart? Well, we honor well. We love people well. We're unoffendable. And we're quick to forgive. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in, the, in miracles. We pray for miracles. We pray in tongues. Are you with me? Is this helping anybody? <clears throat> you need to belong to a group. You need to be, you know, in a smaller group. Just coming in and out on Sundays is not going to be enough. It's good, but it's not enough. <clears throat> If I want to be a better parent, I want to be around, I want to have mentors that are parents that are just a few steps ahead of me or a lot of steps ahead of me, right? Not too many steps that they don't remember how it was when it was my age, but you know, but a couple steps. <laughs> you know, if I want to be uh, a better shooter, I want to be around Tyler, right? He's a sniper if you guys don't know that. Am I allowed to say that? Sorry. He does not work. Uh, never mind. I'm not gonna say. I'm gonna say other secret words. I don't want people listening to us. Um, if I um, if I want to be better in my finances, well, I want to be around people that are good stewards, people that are good with their finances, right? People that have a testimony, people that are going through it. You know, like who am I gonna surround myself with? And so. 
These are the three things that we can do to quickly change the fast track, the right side of our brain, and to modeling the Word of God. So it's intimacy, my times with the Lord, my encounters with the Lord. It's um, imitation, you know, imitating those around me. You know, like if, if, you, if you're around the men's group, there's a lot of men, a lot of great men that you'd be like, oh man, like I'm going to do what he's doing. Like that's really good. I've never tried that and it sounds like, like a God idea, you know. Oh man, you know, that guy looks like he's in really good shape. So what do you do? What are you eating? You know, like it's really that much more simple. We're in the age of information and information is quick and it's easy and it's attainable. But there's a reason why information isn't enough. Have you thought about that? Right? We know the right answers. You just ask Google. If you want the right one, you ask Siri if you want to be misled. But, and no, I'm just kidding. They're both just as bad. You know? but, uh, but I'm saying information is so at our fingertips. But yet, many people are in the same place. Why? Because it's not just about the information. So I'll say that it's better to hang around a bunch of guys that are fit and strong than read a book about health and fitness. It's better to change your close group friend than read a book about how to quit alcohol and drugs and and just stay close to those that are healthy and be open and transparent with us. It's, it's easier, you know, to, to be around good marriages and learn from them than having to just read books on marriage. You're going to find the information. But it's when you're in the environment, when you're in the group, that it, it, there's a transfer. There's, a, there's an impartation. You probably heard of that word, impartation, you know. And then there's so many people that you, you find or you hear them talk and you go, oh, you're from, you're from this group? Oh, you're from, you're from that church? Or you're from, oh, oh, you're Baptist. Okay, yeah. I, I was nothing wrong. I didn't say anything bad, you know? <laughs> that, see, the Baptists, the ones that were Baptists like me and whoever laughed, you know, we know. Because, you know, 